Good to see all of you today, and I hope you can get to your Super Bowl party here in a little bit. And for right now, we'll study this Gospel of John. This series is called Encounters with Jesus. We started it last week. It's a 10-week series. It's going to take us all the way up to Easter. This Wednesday marks uh, is Ash Wednesday. It marks 40 days until Easter. And the Gospel of John gives us the opportunity to really like get to know who Jesus is was and who he is. And that's the big idea behind this series is if you were to meet someone who met Jesus, what would they say to you about who Jesus was? Like, what was he like? What Describe him. And we're trying to pull that out of the text as we go through the gospel of John and each of these encounters. So this week we have four disciples. Those were the four disciples that Jesus called in that passage that was just read. And I'm going to try to take five things away from those four disciples meeting Jesus. So four disciples and five things, that's, that's the idea here. I was, I was watching some videos. I don't know how the algorithm works, but it served up to me this video of Shaq um, this week. And you guys know who Shaq is? I know he's not as big as he once was. I mean, he's still, like, really tall, but, like, he's not as popular as he once. I mean, he was, like you know, the epicenter of the NBA life, kind of like Travis Kelsey, if you know he's playing today. Travis is a really big deal. He put a little singer on the map named, uh, what's her name, Taylor Swift, I think. He put her on the map. And so um, it'd be sort of the same thing, Travis Kelsey, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. Here's, here's this video I get in my uh, social media feed, and, and it's of these kids going up to Shaq and trying to give Shaq a hug. And they go up to about like his kneecap. And and, um, and it's like a very wholesome video. You know, he like comes over and gives him a hug and it's just this huge guy. And I was like, this is a great video. And I started thinking, I was like, you know, I see that kind of secondhand. But in fact, I had that experience when I was, a, uh, I think, maybe a teenager. I don't know, some, at some point early on when Shaq was like uh, right there in the middle of his NBA career, I was in an airport. I walked past the Admirals Club in whatever airport I was in at that time, and there was these huge shoes sticking out from around the corner. I was like, "Who? Th- those are the biggest shoes I've ever seen in my life. And I was so intrigued that I had to like go around and look. And I looked, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Shaq. And, and uh, at whatever age I was at that time, I, like something in me said, I cannot pass up this moment to at least go and introduce myself. I, I don't know what – but I, it was – I didn't know what to do, but I just went up to him and said, hello, Mr. O'Neill. I'm Joel Shimpo. Nice to meet you. And I shook his hand, held my hand. He shook my hand, and he was, like, so kind. And all I remember is, like, it felt like four hands wrapped around my one hand. I, I, this guy is enormous. And, and I was thinking, you know, uh, as I, was, I thought back in that video, I was like, no, actually, I had that experience. I met Shaq just like these kids were meeting Shaq. And so that's the idea of the series. Like, people who've met Jesus – like, we have these real stories of people, and, and again, you, I could tell you about what it was like to meet Shaq, that he was, he was very nice, that he was willing to, like, say hello to me. I, like, after I said hello to him, all these people, like, crowded around him. It was crazy. I think I, I didn't mean to do that to him. Um, but so that, that's the idea of the series, Encounters with Jesus. So we have Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel today, those four characters if you will, disciples that Jesus came to. And we're just going to work through this text line by line today. And we'll start with verse 35 again. 
we'll just kind of relook at that. Hopefully that first reading helped kind of familiarize yourself with this passage. If this is all brand new to you and, and you're reading the Bible and you're like, okay, I don't know any of these people. Don't worry. I'm going to try my best just to really like walk through this in a way that everyone's going to, we're going to all track together. So first you have John who was standing with two of his disciples. Okay. So that's, there's a John, like the gospel of John that we're reading through, but then there's another John called John the Baptist. That was, that's who's there in verse 35. John the Baptist was a teacher. You can read all about him, and, and he's got quite an interesting personality. You can just imagine, like, this rough and gruff guy who had lived in the, in the desert, and he ate bugs, all that stuff. And, and he's got disciples. If you're new to the idea of disciples, disciples are people who would come around a teacher. They would follow that teacher wherever they went, and they would... Uh, like just, I mean, literally soak up everything that teacher would have to say. In Eastern religions, you, you would have a, a guru, same, same concept. And these disciples, their sole purpose is just to become like their teacher. So that John has his two disciples. They're, they looked at Jesus as he walked by. And then John declares, behold, the Lamb of God. Of those two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. In the scripture, it says that, that John's sole purpose, John the Baptist's sole purpose, was to make a way for Jesus to arrive. Picture like a, a wedding director. If you've ever been, been in a wedding, behind the scenes in a wedding, you know that wedding directors uh, can play a critical role in a wedding. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I've, I've done quite a few weddings, and when, when there's not a wedding director, it's usually chaos, and, and so it's always nice to have a wedding director there who's, who's saying, okay, now you stand over here, and you stand there, and you do this, and then she pushes somebody out, and she's like, don't lock your knees, and it like, uh, wh whoever that wedding director is, he or she is, they make sure that everything runs so smoothly, and then what's amazing, as, as that director like prepares and does the whole wedding thing and makes sure it goes off without a hitch, it's like as soon as the doors open and the bride comes down the aisle, they disappear. And you're like, you don't see them again. And that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, played a very similar role to that, to Jesus. He just steps out of the way, and here's Jesus arriving on the scene. And, he's, uh, and, he's like, and John says, this is the Lamb of God. There's lots of different titles for Jesus given in this passage, and in this one in particular, he's pointing to what will ultimately happen with Jesus being a lamb that is led to slaughter, as it says in Isaiah. But right now, he says, this is the lamb of God, and the disciples, John's, or I'm sorry, yeah, John the Baptist's two disciples who heard this, that was enough for them to go, we should follow this guy. Jesus turns around, this is verse 38, and he sees them following them. And he says to them, what are you seeking? That is, that's, that's a great question. Like, I, I just, it feels like every time Jesus talks with someone, it's so unique. And, and he says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That, that in itself is just an intriguing exchange. Like, what is going on here? But I think if you were to ask these two disciples here, what was Jesus like? Just in that first meeting, I would say they would say he's inviting. 
Because Jesus answers to them, come and you will see. And you'll see that repeated again a few verses later. Come and you will see. Jesus invites them into his life. And he starts off with that question, what are you seeking? That's a question that I think Jesus would probably, if he met you today and you were to meet him and you were to have that encounter with him today, he would say the same thing to you. Jesus would say, what are you seeking? Because that gets to the heart of like why we would show up at a church service today. It gets to the heart of like why we would explore Christianity or explore like a relationship with Christ, why we would try to go deeper in a relationship with Christ. What are you actually seeking? Like, what's the end goal for you? Jesus is trying to get right into the middle of where their heart and their intentions lie. And so they say back to him, where are you staying? That sounds a little confusing, but as I have studied it, I really think they were saying, look, we don't have enough time to give you all the answers. We don't even know how to answer that question, Jesus. Can we just go wherever you're going? Like, where are you staying at? Because we need, we need some, we'd like some time with you, basically. And he says, come and you will see. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis gives an example about children, and they're playing a made-up game, these children, of, like, burglars. Like, you know, somebody's breaking in, and, and they're, um, and, you know, and they're trying to stop that person from breaking in. And the kids are playing that. And as they're playing that, he says, imagine if they hear a footstep in the hall. And they're like, wait, was that a real footstep? And they start thinking, wait, is this actually happening? Is this game that we're playing actually becoming real? And he uses that as a way to say what happens sometimes when, like, we think we're seeking Jesus and, and we have to decide, like, are we actually seeking Jesus? He says this, there comes a moment when people who have been searching for God also draw back. And they ask, could that be him? We never actually meant for it to come to that. We're still supposing he has found us. You know, we can go in thinking, yeah, like this Jesus sounds like a good idea. This Bible Christianity thing all sounds like a great idea. I'm, I'm very open to this. I, I would like, yeah, this is, or this is the path I've chosen. I'm a Christian. This is the way I'm going. But what happens when you actually really meet Jesus? Is there something in your heart that stirs like, whoa, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And, and like, I, 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 I thought I was, I was, sorry, you were like that child who was saying, like, was that a real footstep? That has to be what it's like for Andrew and this other disciple. I'm going to guess this other disciple was the Apostle John who's writing this book. But they had been following John the Baptist, this incredible man, this throwback to the prophets of the Old Testament. He's loud and he's bold. He's unique. He's full of confidence. And when they hear John declare, this is a man in whom I can't even untie his sandals I won't even do what is beneath servants to do for this man because he's so great. When Andrew and this other disciple hear this, I mean, what else can you do but not go after him and say, let's talk some more? And then he turns, what are you seeking? And I'm sure a bit of a shock goes through them at this point. If this really is the Messiah, can you imagine how crazy it is that, that they're going, he's talking to us. He's talking to us. Come and you will see, he says. Let's go to the next verse, uh, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak 
and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus invites them in, and, and they spend this however much amount of time with Jesus. Jesus is always inviting us in deeper with him. He does the same for these two. He's inviting them in. And then they're like, we have to tell others about him. So it's so great that uh, Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon. You, you can imagine you would do the same thing. Like if you eat at an amazing restaurant, what's the first thing you do? You want to tell people about it. You want to make sure people know like how great it was, that they ought to, they ought to go there as well. For me, I'm like, when I watch a video that I think is so funny, that makes, it makes me laugh out loud, I go to my wife and I go, you have to watch this. It's great. And that's what Peter is, I'm sorry, that's what Andrew is doing to his brother, who will be called Peter, when Jesus names him here. He announces to his brother, this is the Messiah. We found him. This is the one we've been waiting on. This is the king. This is, this is the one that all the scriptures speak to. And if you've met Jesus, like they've met Jesus, then you would do the same. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and this is where it just gets electric. This is the second takeaway I want you to see is that Jesus, I think this is what Peter would say, Jesus saw my potential. Jesus saw in me what he wanted to make me. One look and Jesus says, Simon, I have a new name for you. Like, I, I hope you take a second and go back and say, like, that's unusual for, for, for someone to meet someone else and to immediately just say, I got a new name for you. I don't, I mean, like, we all have probably, like, friends or uncles or something that, that like, love giving out nicknames, and, and they're quick to give out a nickname, but, I mean, this is different. He's just like, hey, uh, I got a new name for you. I, I, that's amazing. And so he says, you're Peter, which means rock. You're going to be a rock, Peter. Uh, as one commentator puts it, he says, it is striking how regularly Jesus approached people from the perspective of their potential. And you see this with all the disciples, that Jesus didn't see them just for who they were. They're fishermen, they're teenagers, they're unschooled, they're untrained. Jesus sees them for who they will be. I don't know about you, but I love that for me, for my sake. <laughs> I want Jesus to see me not in like the messiness of life. I had plenty of moments today that I wish I could just go back and change a little bit. I want Jesus to look at me for who he's making me to be. And, and that's a critical part. I keep saying it that way on purpose because with Jesus, he sees this potential in Peter, not in that like, Peter, you're going to like go off and be a self-made man, but Peter, there's somebody I want to make you to be. When Jesus calls out our potential, it's not like that, you know, these innate gifts that we have that, that we're going to work and make our own and make great. It's the potential that he sees in which he knows he will do a work to make out of us. Does that make sense? That Jesus sees our potential and he wants to draw it out 
and, and make us into that. The next day, verse 43, it says that Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is an important distinguish, uh, distinguishing factor here between what happens in that earlier encounter with Andrew and probably John and even Peter and what happens here with Philip. Jesus, notice what it says, Jesus found Philip. He found Philip. And, and uh, we don't know a whole lot about Philip. Extra biblical sources tell us that Philip would go on to be a missionary in Greece and Syria. But there isn't much to go on about who Philip is besides that. But you have Jesus stopping for this man, going and finding this man, Philip, and saying to him, follow me. I was um, at a wedding with some uh, close friends of ours. or It was their wedding. They were getting married. And at the wedding, it was, it was a big ceremony, lots of guests, big production. And as the wedding went on and on, I kept wondering, I wonder if we'll get a chance to talk to them. All through the night, all the guests, you know, just continued to go and talk and talk and talk with them. And it was like we never had a second to get around to actually talk to them. By the time the night was over, we, we didn't ever get the chance to be there with our friends and talk to them. So Jesus, compare that. Here's Jesus, who John the Baptist, like a wedding director, steps away and ushers Jesus in. He is the bridegroom. He is the one coming for his bride. And he is literally the the spotlight of all the universe is on him as we understand it and read the Bible. That this is the creator who's put on flesh, as John says, and moved into our neighborhood. And he's there among these people. You have to understand that, that then he goes and he finds Philip, a nobody, an ordinary guy. It's not a king. It's not like someone you would say, yeah, that's, that's a person that, of course, Jesus would go and find. This is Philip that, for whatever reason, Jesus has said, he's going to be one of my disciples. He finds Philip. And I think Philip would turn around and say to us after meeting Jesus, Jesus sought me. He pursued me. That's, that's a, such a critical part of the biblical storyline of understanding who God is, that God pursues us. It differentiates all the other religions in the world from Christianity in that. Uh, you know, you maybe heard the illustration of, of like, uh, us trying to work to a God that was on a mountaintop, and you picture God on top of that mountain, and we do good works to get there. That's what a lot of religions adhere to. But in Christianity, God's on top of that mountain, and he comes down off the mountain and becomes one of us. He comes to us. He pursues us. So Jesus sought out Philip here to make him one of his disciples. And and that's uh, you know, if you want to read more about that, think more about that, you can go into Luke's gospel. Luke makes that a big part of his gospel. You have him saying uh, several times, or, or recording Jesus saying, the Son of Man came not to seek and save, I'm sorry, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then you have his threefold parable in Luke 15. Of, you remember that, where, where there's a woman who loses a coin, and she does everything in her power to turn her house upside down to find that coin. And then there's a, a man who loses one of his sheep, a shepherd who loses one of his sheep. And then 
one of a hundred, and he goes and he finds that sheep. And then the sons that go away, and the dad who, who goes after the sons, who runs to his son when he comes back home, and goes to his older son who's out in the, out in the field who's left the party. If you read those stories, you see a God who pursues us. That's why Jesus told those stories, to, get up, to give us a picture of God and what he does. So Jesus comes after us. He pursues us. I think that's what Philip would say here. Next we have, in verse 44, we have Philip, who was from uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip finds Nathaniel. He repeats like a good disciple would. He goes and he finds Nathaniel, and he says to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So in verse 41, we had Andrew declare that Jesus was the Messiah to his brother Simon. There's lots of different titles. I just tap into this for one second. Andrew says, this is the Messiah. The Messiah was the anointed one. That's what that word meant. This is the anointed one, the one in which there would be a king who would be over all the kings. So he's saying, this is him. In verse 45, we have Philip declare that Jesus is the one of whom both the law and the prophets spoke of. So he's saying the scriptures talked of, of, of God coming in, in like a kingly fashion to restore things. And he's saying this is who they're talking about, the coming one. Uh, and there's a Bible, storybook Bible that says it like this. It says this is the one of whom every story whispers his name. And then he, look at the title he gives Jesus after that. He says, this is who the law and prophets speak of. This is Jesus of Nazareth. So he grounds this title in the fact that he was from Nazareth. He's a son of Joseph. I'm not trying to read too much into this. But as you go through the Gospel of John, it's important to see that John is constantly bringing us back to the humanness of Jesus. He'll go on one end, he'll go to where Jesus in his prologue, we, we studied through that last week. He'll, he'll start there with Jesus being the word who was there before creation. He was God. And we can't miss the divinity of Jesus. And he says it in these like epic terms as he talks through in that prologue of, of who Jesus was, that he was before the universe. But then at the same time, he'll ground it back into the ordinariness of like just our human experience. And, and I think that's why he's taken the time because John could have recorded lots of things and he purposely records the fact that as Philip finds Nathaniel, he says, this is the son of Joseph. This is a guy that had a dad here right down the road in Nazareth. And that's the picture he's giving, giving us of Jesus. And what I want to try to move us towards is this idea that what these early disciples see of Jesus is that he was literally heaven meeting earth. I think that's what they would communicate to us. What was it like to meet Jesus? Well, it was like heaven meeting earth. He is earthly yet heavenly. <laughs> he's the son of Joseph, but he's also the one of whom all the law and the prophets have spoken of. And you'll see that further in the last part of this passage. Before I get there, though, 
if you've ever watched the TV series The Chosen, it, it depicts Jesus' life. And it has a scene where Jesus speaks to Nathaniel. And I thought that would just kind of like bring some of this uh, off the page into just like a visual format for you. And so I'd love for you to watch this. It's a couple of minutes long, this clip. And then I've just got one last point to make as we talk about this heaven meeting earth. Okay, so let's play that. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite and whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Good. There you go. That's Jesus meeting Nathaniel. And, and you'll see they, they added in some text there to uh, really take us back to the story in Genesis that takes place with uh, Jacob. You know, there's two, I mean, you can't miss it. Like, if, if you know the Old Testament, then you are going to see the, the references that are here to Jacob. When he says to Nathaniel, this is an Israelite, a true Israelite, in whom there's no deceit. Those two words, that deceit and a true Israelite, that, that would take us back to Jacob, as well as when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That takes us back to Jacob in Genesis because Jacob experienced a vision where a ladder came down from heaven and, and the angel of the Lord came up and down. There's angels going up and down. 
And, and so you have these two references that immediately go, okay, like this, this is taking us back to something that's already happened. Jesus calls out to him, you're a true Israelite whom there is no deceit. Because if you know the story of Jacob, you know he had a twin brother named Esau. And Jacob became the, the trickster, the deceiver. He tricked his brother into giving up his birthright. Uh, his name even meant deceiver. It had the same root word as deceiver. And, and so Jacob was known for that. And God comes to Jacob and he gives him a new name. He says, I'm going to call you Israel. You'll be the true Israel. You, you will be the line in which my people will come. And ultimately, the son of God will come. So Nathaniel gets this picture of Jesus calling him out, and then he says, look, if you think me knowing that you were under a fig tree, and there's been a lot of speculation of what happened under the fig tree, you can watch that show of how they played out, what they think happens. Whatever happened between Nathaniel and God that Jesus said, I saw you there, Nathaniel knows this is no ordinary man. At that point, this, is, this guy is different. And he calls him son of God. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He immediately knows this is someone special. And so I think Jacob, uh, I'm sorry, I think uh, Philip and Nathaniel would say, this Jesus is heaven meeting earth. Just like Jacob experienced these angels coming down from heaven, Jesus says, you're going to get a glimpse of what it's like when God comes to earth and he, and he does things only God can do. And they'll get that full display as Jesus conducts his ministry over the next several years. Finally, in verse 46, I want to take you back there for a second. Because this is the second time where we get this idea of come and see. Nathaniel before Philip was such a believer, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. That's what I want to return to here as just to wrap things up because Philip answers Nathaniel's question the same way that Jesus answered Andrew and John's question. And he said, come and see. This makes a point that Jesus gives us an invitation to come and experience him. You know, Jesus isn't a school of thought where you can pick and choose what sayings you like or, you know, a list of rules to follow. He's not just a man whose story you can read. Jesus always offers an invitation to us to come and experience him. I think these disciples would say to us, what was it like to encounter Jesus? They would say, you just have to experience him yourself. You know, it would be like, what we get to experience here Saturdays in the fall, going to a football game. I don't know if you've ever tried to relate a football game experience at Sanford Stadium before to someone who's never been, but it just, it's like, it's hard to, like the words aren't adequate. You just have to come and check it out yourself, right? I mean, because if you could take, you could even take people down to the stadium. They could see this huge stadium, so many seats. Uh, they could see the bushes. They could see the scoreboard. But until you actually are there on a day when the game's taking place and there's 100,000 people or whatever it is there in the stadium and it's going crazy, right? You have to be there to experience it. In the same way, we have to 
experience Jesus for ourselves. We, we can't be a removed, like, uh, onlooker to say, yeah, that, that looks interesting. I, I, I think I'll just observe from a distance. Jesus always moves us to say, you need to come and see and experience for yourself. And so that's the invitation for you today. It kind of turns the table like after these four disciples experienced Jesus, encountered Jesus, we have the same opportunity. And just reading their stories, we have the same opportunity to, in the same way, encounter Jesus ourselves. To look at him and to say, let us experience him for ourselves. That he's inviting. That he welcomes us to come and see. That he's patient. That he's going to take some time to let us come and just like figure this out. He's going to see our potential. He's going to look at us, and he's going to know what he can make us to be, right? And, and he's always going to be pursuing us. He's going to come to us, and he's going to say, come on, you come experience this, and when you do, you will see heaven meeting earth. 